Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen. You know, the Bible is often used as being the reason for today's Mormon polygamy, yet polygamy in the Bible was always by man's choice. It was never commanded by God. Before we get started, we want you to know that we do help people leave polygamy, and we want them to know that God will not seek revenge on anyone who gets out. You can call our toll-free number, 877-425-999, for a confidential telephone conversation about your situation and how we can help you. You can go to our website, shieldandrefuge.org, for information about our ministry. And you can contact us about any of our shows or if you'd like to be a guest by emailing us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Audio versions of our program are also available. You can go for information to our main our website's main page or to soundcloud.com slash this and our show is also available on iTunes podcast. And now I would like to thank um, our co-host, Earl Erson, for it's being back again. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's very interesting stuff. Interesting. We always talk about. It, it's always interesting, it isn't is. it, to get into some of these under details yeah. that yeah. a lot of people haven't known before. Yep. Um, we've been discussing Brigham Young, <clears throat> the second president and prophet of the Mormon religion. He had 55 wives, and we ended last time with the information that Brigham Young was an uneducated man who didn't encourage higher education for others. Later on, of course, there was a change of attitude in the fact that the LDS are generally highly educated yeah, uh, at this point in time, but that isn't generally true of members of Mormon polygamy groups. Many polygamists really see no value in education except for a select few who are allowed a higher education, but only for the good of the group. Mm-hmm. It's good for the group to, for them to do that. And of course, females are generally not chosen uh, for higher education. Some are, but most of them are not, because their greatest good for the group is their fertility as a plural wife uh, to have large families and working in polygamy-owned businesses to provide for the group and for her own household. Wow. The fact that Brigham Young had no great education does not mean that he was not an astute man, because he was. He settled Mormon Utah, and as we said before, he ruled the Mormon people with an iron fist. He had magnificent dreams of a kingdom where he ruled as God's substitute and mouthpiece. He called it Deseret. He chose a huge geographical area for his kingdom, and he ordered a new alphabet for his land of Deseret, we quote. Yeah, this is from utlm.org. In 1854, the University of Deseret, predecessor of the University of Utah, introduced the Deseret alphabet, consisting of 38 characters, 
to conform with the basic number of sounds in the English language. The curious set of symbols was created by 39-year-old George D. Watt, an expert in Pittman shorthand and the faith's first English convert. Interesting yeah. little bit of information. Now, having their own alphabet, of course, would not only show themselves to be exclusive, but would also enable them to keep secrets from <laughs> non-Mormons, and they could more readily control the reading material of their members. For almost 20 years, Brigham Young attempted to get reluctant Mormons to use this new alphabet, but they never accepted it. This is one area where Brigham Young failed to push the people <laughs> in compliance with his will. We quote again from an LDS historian. An alphabet of 38 characters was designed to present each sound of the English language. The Deseret Alphabet proved to be an expensive failure. <laughs> <laughs> we have some pictures of the alphabet we want to put on the screen. And, and of course, you can also Google Deseret Alphabet yourself to find more information about it than you ever really wanted to know. And I looked at the alphabet and looked at it, and, and George Watt, the one who, who comprised yeah. it, uh, was an expert in, in Pittman shorthand. I learned Pittman shorthand when, when I went to business school, and I couldn't find any likeness Oh, of, of, you knew that. of that, right? Exactly. Now, the other one was Greg Shorthand, right? Greg Is Shorthand, that the one that came after. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I know Greg Shorthand too. Oh wow! But so, an article in the Salt Lake Tribune about the shorthand or about this alphabet said this. We quote. <laughs> It was also extremely expensive to typeset the new characters, and only four books were ever published, two elementary school readers, one partial Book of Mormon, and then one full Book of Mormon. And so that's all that was printed in this new alphabet. Uh, the geography that Brigham Young set apart to be the state of Deseret, because he had his Deseret alphabet for the yeah. state of Deseret, was a huge chunk of land that included an enormous part of the American West. You can see from this map on the screen that it included most of Utah, the larger parts of both Arizona and Nevada, parts of Wyoming, New Mexico, California, Colorado, Idaho, wow. and Oregon. Great vision. <laughs> oh, yes. The area which would have been the state of Deseret was about 490,000 square miles, almost double the size of Texas. Hmm. Its boundaries extended to the Pacific Ocean and included the area that is Los Angeles. According to their Book of Mormon, Deseret, I think you probably learned this uh, when you're yes, a Mormon, yeah. is interpreted as being the honeybee. Right, that's taken from a Book of Mormon reference, at Ether 2, chapter mm -hmm. 2, verse 3. Exactly. Yeah. But the state of Deseret was doomed for failure. We quote. <laughs> The provisional state of Deseret dissolved in 1851, followed pass, following passage by, by the Congress of the Organic Act in 1850. Legislation admitted California to the Union as a gigantic new state. California absorbed the village of Los Angeles and the harbor of San Diego, which had seemed so promising to the people of fledgling Deseret as ports and way stations for immigration and goods. The territories of New, New Mexico and a still large Utah, which included Nevada, were created as well. So his, his great big chunk of land <laughs> shrunk. <laughs> shrunk big time. So when Utah's boundaries were finalized, it was less than 85,000 square miles, which is far short of the 490,000 square miles Brigham Young had hoped for 
for his Deseret. And of course, Deseret would have been ruled by Brigham Young and his successors as a theocracy. We have another Much quote. Much like we have here in Utah. Like we have <laughs> in Utah now, yeah. On the 12th of March, a general election was held at the Bowery in Salt Lake City. For the successful ticket, 624 votes were polled. Brigham Young being chosen governor, Willard Richards secretary, Haber C. Kimball being chosen chief justice, and John Taylor and Newell K. Whitney associate judges. Willard Snow being appointed speaker of the House of Representatives administered the oath or affirmation to the executive officials. Thus did the brethren establish in the Valley of the Great Salt Lake the state of Deseret. So they're moving forward with it. Yeah. But the state of Deseret was doomed for failure for, by the United States Congress that voted against it 108 to 77. So on April 5, 1851, the General Assembly of the State of Deseret was dissolved. How different our <laughs> lives would be oh, today if that yeah, had gone, that, even in the United States, how true. different the economy yeah. would be. Yeah. About his theocratic rule with an iron fist, in June of 1853, Brigham Young gave a discourse in the tabernacle. <clears throat> I am and will be governor, and no power can hinder it, until, he added with characteristic shrewdness, the Lord Almighty says, Brigham, you need not be governor any longer. There was none to dispute the authority of the governor, and for several years his will was law. His will was law. Yeah. As we've said before, free agency was an idea that they gave lip service to, but it was an unpracticed principle of, of early Mormonism and had the same with the polygamy groups of today. Hmm. Almost a year later, Brigham Young gave another sermon about his iron-fisted method of rule, we quote. They had kind of a brash attitude they did. back then, yes, didn't they? yes, they sure did. They didn't did. have anybody controlling or uh, <laughs> no internet to take pictures of this or pass it along. <laughs> now, if I tell the people what to do and they do not do it nor carry out my counsel but turn from it and do something else, while at the same time I am warning them of the danger of their course and telling them of the judgments that will come upon them, do you suppose they will escape the chastening of the Almighty? No, they will not. This people may rest assured that they are preparing a rod for their backs if they do not listen to my counsel and do what I tell them. I want to say to such that it is my will that you should do it, and that is enough. That is enough. <laughs> Iron rule. Iron-fisted rule is the way Brigham Young did things. And we can re readily see the basis for his iron, iron rule was to bring a frightful fear yeah. of God upon the people for not obeying a man's rule. Now that is so wrong. Jesus said that they are following the traditions of men rather than the commands of God. Brigham ruled his wives with the same iron fist, we quote. True, this is in the Journal of Discourses. True, there is a curse upon the woman that is not upon the man, namely that her whole affections shall be towards her husband. And what is the next? He shall rule over you. But how is it now? Your desire is to your husband, but you strive to rule over him, whereas the man should rule over you. Some may ask whether that is the case with me. Go to my house and live, and then you will learn that I am very kind, but know how to rule. 
he's kind as long as you do what he wants you to Probably. do, right? Yeah. Now, of course, it's a lie when Brigham Young said that the female has a curse that the males don't have. Uh, remember last time when Brigham Young admitted that he hadn't read the Bible in years and years, and when he had read it, he didn't understand what he'd been reading. So obviously, he was not qualified to teach God's Word. So now, we would like to make mention of some very odd as well as false teachings made by Brigham Young. Now, many people wonder, why does all this matter today? Or they might say, well, we've corrected anything wrong that Brigham Young might have said. Or, we live a good life, doctrine doesn't really matter. (laughs) But Joseph Smith and Brigham Young laid the foundational doctrine of Mormonism, so the doctrine they taught is very important. And Jesus did warn us to watch out for false teachers. An odd teaching of Brigham Young was that God doesn't really know everything. Mm, Very surprising. Also from the Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, God himself is increasing and progressing in knowledge, power, and dominion, and will do so worlds without end. That's the eternal progression (laughs) nonsense that that is in Mormonism. But God is not increasing in knowledge because he already knows everything there is to know. If he, if he is, is increasing in knowledge, then it follows that there are things he doesn't know yet, which makes the God Brigham Young taught about a false God. Let's see what God says about what he knows. We'll start with Psalms. Yeah, 147 <laughs> verse 5. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. His understanding, his knowledge is infinite. Now, God knows everything there is to know. He never learns anything because he knows everything. Nothing ever uh, occurs to God. He isn't surprised by any event. He doesn't learn new things because he is the source of all knowledge. It says in the New Testament that Jesus is our wisdom because he is the source of all of it. One of our least favorite racist remarks and false prophecies made by Brigham Young is this. Shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. Obviously, that's false. Can you imagine people listening to him to bear their testimony back in those days in their fast and testimony meetings? I know that Brigham Young's a prophet of God. Oh, my word. No. I mean, they would have... they would have honored and revered him. Absolutely. Praise to the yes. man. And Absolutely. All that stuff. And, and after saying all of these things and they look back on it now, I don't know, <laughs> you would think there would be some questions. Yeah, you'd think. Uh, this, this statement alone by Brigham Young proves he's a false prophet. Um, there <clears throat> have been racially mixed marriages all through Mormonism's history. Of course, more now than there would have been at that time. But no one's died on the spot as a result of it. It was Brigham Young who added a new element to the temple endowment ceremony called the Oath of Vengeance, we quote. Yeah, from Will Bagley's book. I will pray and never cease to pray and never cease to importune high heaven to avenge the blood of the prophets on this nation. And I will teach this to my children and my children's children under the third and fourth generations. So what happened to Jesus said, love our enemies, Um, but we have this instead coming from Brigham Young. John D. Lee wrote a book 
It's called Mormonism Unveiled, which I got some of this information. And, and uh, he writes that it was Brigham Young who installed the Oath of Vengeance and that all of the LDS temple goers were required to take the oath. And I think this went up until about 1990. Um, if it specifically mentioned uh, avenging Joseph Smith, it must have been before then okay. that it was gone. Well, this is the oath. In fact, yeah. you're going to be quoting the oath right, now. Right. Brigham Young raised his hand and said, I swear by the eternal heavens that I have unsheathed my sword and I will never return it until the blood of the prophet Joseph and Hiram is avenged. This whole nation is guilty of shedding their blood by assenting to the deed and holding its peace. Furthermore, everyone who had passed through their endowments in the temple were placed under the most sacred obligations to avenge the blood of the prophet and to teach their children to do the same. Wow. That's not good. No. Not good at all. I'm glad we don't follow a prophet that <laughs> talks about those kinds of things. Brigham Young complained about Mormons and non-Mormons, whom he called Gentiles, associating with each other. Here is a <laughs> quote he said about Mormons marrying Gentiles. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> from, my, from the... My, the from the first of my acquaintance with Mormonism to this day, have I ever known one Mormon boy to look for a wife out of this church? Uh, no, but the Mormon girls may be seen associating with Gentiles almost any day, riding in carriages in the broad open day with men who hate God and his servants and the holy gospel which they preach. It is not the boys that are after Gentile women, but the Mormon girls are after Gentile men. The Mormon boys never think of looking outside this church for wives. Now those are pretty general statements, and yeah. I don't believe a word of it. I don't. I, I don't believe it's a hundred percent true. <laughs> no, no, that seems. <laughs> but yeah. of course, think about it. The females would rather go out with men their own age, yeah. and with men who aren't looking to live polygamy. That would follow. Of course, the men would be more inclined to leave a church, would be less inclined to leave a church that right, is allowing them to have, even commands them to have multiple partners. So even, even if it's partially true, we can understand the reasoning behind it. Yeah. John D. Lee uh, wrote a book, we talked about the Mormonism Unveiled, entitled Mormonism Unveiled or Life and Confessions of John D. Lee. And on page 386 of his book, he refers to Brigham Young as, and I quote, the greatest criminal of the 19th century. Now that's a pretty, pretty <laughs> that's broad strong. statement yeah. there. In the appendix of the book, he wrote a few pages about the life of Brigham Young. He wrote that there was nothing to admire in the character of Brigham Young, that he was a gross, selfish, and lustful man. If there was something to admire, it would only be that he had a superior natural abilities and unyielding determination. But that is all. He wrote this. He ruled his people as a tyrant, not as a friend, and the title of the Old Boss, by which he was familiarly known among the Mormons, indicates the estimation in which he was held by his own people. He did rule with an iron yeah. fist, whether people like to believe it or not. Now, John D. Lee was one of Brigham Young's right-hand men and trusted servant for many, many years. He knew the man, Brigham Young, very well. He writes that after Joseph Smith was shot, Sidney Rigdon was to be the legal successor of Joseph Smith as head of the LDS religion, but that Rigdon was a weak man. He said that when Brigham Young came forward, Sidney Rigdon's power crumbled into dust. 
Brigham denounced Rigdon as a fraud and a hypocrite and said that his revelations were from the devil. Didn't Joseph Smith say some of his work? (laughs) (laughs) The result was an election that made Brigham Young the Mormon ruler. I thought they were chosen by God, not by man. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, we have another quote for you. Those who had voted against him, the new prophet cursed and cut off, and by a well-devised system of rewards and punishments, he soon inspired love, I guess love, in the hearts of his friends and adherents, and fear in the hearts of his enemies. John D. Lee gives an account, and doubtless the only correct one ever published, of the manner in which Brigham secured his election to the presidency of the Mormon priesthood. Brigham began his administration with a reign of terror. If any person, whether saint or Gentile, became obnoxious to him, a word or a sign to the Danites or his secret police was sufficient to seal the fate of the unfortunate offender, who would either be waylaid and murdered or enticed into some lonely place and there executed. Wow. John DeLay was one of his executioners, so he would know uh, the truth behind this statement. Brigham Young's autocratic rule uh, was cruelty and in despotism (laughs) is revealed not only in this book that we're quoting from, but also in many other personal accounts as well. We also quote from the same book, page 405. By this system of murdering and banishing his enemies, Brigham soon had his authority firmly established and his leading men were bound to him forever by the common fear of the penalties of the law if they should be detected or any of their number turned traitor. The prophet felt so secure in their confidence that one day in council he openly dared them to betray him, plainly intimating intimating that they were all in the same category and if he fell they must fall with him. Mm. That was a way to get people to follow you, (laughs) fearfully follow you. Brigham Young was the father of 56 children. 44 of them were still alive when he died. He had 16 sons and 28 daughters. And when he died, he left 17 living wives, plural wives. He did leave his family well provided for, and each family member inherited property from him. His a uh, estate was valued somewhere between six and seven million dollars. A lot of money back then. Uh, oh yeah, and I've also heard and read places where people um, claim that he got rich off the Mormon Church and he pocketed much of the sure. tithing money. Uh, we thought it was only fitting, <clears throat> but interestingly humorous, to end our series about Brigham Young with an anecdote from Utah's colorful history. Prostitution was actually a big part of pioneer Utah's frontier life. Um, Several brothels were up and running near Camp Floyd in the late 1850s, which was during the reign and rule of Brigham Young. After the Transcontinental Railroad was finished in 1869, it brought in even more prostitutes. We quote from a little-known book entitled Hidden History of Utah, and it's written by Ellen Hallett Stone, and this is the book that I got this quote from. She was a former columnist of the Salt Lake Tribune, and on page 103 we find this information. Whether called prostitutes, ladies of the night, or simply soiled doves, by the 1870s these women tendered a robust business in the red light district of Commercial Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Located between 100 South and 200 South from Main to State Street, parlor houses and cribs stretched out among legitimate businesses, 
tobacco shops, liquor stores, saloons, and cafes. Second story rooms over these enterprises were rented out nightly to prostitutes who would sit on the stairways and invite potential clients to come up and visit. Now, all of these things were in downtown Salt Lake. Yeah. I don't know if modern Mormons realize that there was tobacco shops and liquor stores and prostitution taking, on, taking place in downtown Salt Lake City during this period of time. Money. Uh, money is right. And of course, these activities were taking place while Brigham Young was running the show, as it were, in early Utah. Now, there was a madam named Catherine Flint and her clients paid a high price for her ladies and their entertainment. Catherine paid very close attention when certain items of Brigham Young's property were seized during the divorce settlement uh, between Brigham Young and Anne Eliza Young. And of course, we covered their divorce on the last show. Mm -hmm. We quote from page 105. In the November 2nd, 1876 issue of the Tribune, it was rumored yesterday that Mrs. Catherine Flint had purchased Brigham's closed carriage and would have his coat of arms erased and her own substituted. Now, another account was that this happened in an auction after his death, but either way, this did happen according to the historical sources, so that she could, she wanted his carriage so that she could parade the streets uh, uh, in Brigham Young's <laughs> carriage. So we find that this prostitute wanted to be seen riding around town in Brigham Young's previously owned carriage. Maybe it was a silent statement by her that his polygamy was little different than her prostitution. That's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Or if she <laughs> received more respect from her clients than he gave his plural wives. There is something in there that, that made her want to do this. But in any case, that's what she did. Brigham Young met his maker on August 29th of 1877 at four o'clock in the afternoon. It is said that his funeral was attended by hundreds of people. And when he died, <clears throat> he did meet his maker. Yeah. And he had a lot of false teachings to answer for. That one of prostitution is an interesting little perspective that you've come up with there because here, here she was being, you know, I'm sure she was a second class citizen because of her association with uh, with prostitution and yet he was doing the same thing but he had the priesthood and he was the mm -hmm, leader mm -hmm, so it was legal mm -hmm, for him to mm -hmm. to do what he was doing and, and I have another anecdote that I'm going to be doing in a in a show where I talk about early prostitution and polygamy yeah. in in those day during those days uh, just exactly what you're saying how one case went to court wow. and, and the judge ruled <laughs> for the prostitute but at any rate, the bottom line of all this is the end of our Brigham Young series. But the bottom line is, why in the world would anyone trust their eternity to men like this? Yeah. Uh, people who, who, who give false prophecies and who rule with an iron fist and, and uh, people who claim that they know God but don't even know the Bible. You know, yeah. that's, we just want you to check out your sources, check out what you believe and why you believe it. So that's the end of the Brigham Young yeah, series. fascinating. Thanks, Doris. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your help. And thank you for watching. You know, from its beginning, um, Mormon prophets claimed to be the single legitimate authority of God's plan for mankind. But early
early Mormon leaders actually destroyed their own credibility by their less than honest attempts to justify polygamy. And today's Mormon historians do the same thing, and polygamy group leaders do the same as well. God already revealed what form of marriage he decreed for humans, and it wasn't polygamy ever. Many making excuses for Joseph Smith and Brigham Young's polygamy is just nonsense that irritates our common sense. Polygamy doesn't earn celestial glory for anyone. The cross of Jesus Christ, his words and his work has everything we need and is everything that we need. It is Jesus who makes us worthy, not polygamy. So we can just toss polygamy and Mormonism and instead choose the security that is in Jesus Christ alone. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.